Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. Let's face it, the future is now. We're living in a connected cyber society, and we need to stop ignoring it or pretending that it's not affecting us. Join us as we explore how humanity arrived at this current state of digital reality and what it means to live amongst so much technology and data. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Black Cloak provides concierge cybersecurity protection to corporate executives and high net worth individuals to protect against hacking, reputational loss, financial loss, and the impacts of a corporate data breach. Learn more at blackcloak.io. BugCrowd's award-winning platform combines actionable contextual intelligence with the skill and experience of the world's most elite hackers to help leading organizations identify and fix vulnerabilities, protect customers, and make the digitally connected world a safer place. Learn more at bugcrowd.com. Devo unlocks the full value of machine data for the world's most instrumented enterprises. The Devo Data Analytics Platform addresses the explosion in volume of machine data and the crushing demands of algorithms and automation. Learn more at devo.com. Well, hello everybody. This is Marco Ciappelli, Redefining Society podcast on ITSP Magazine, where we talk about the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society, which means, as I always say, everything, pretty much. <laughs> if I want to talk about anything, I can have the excuse to do so. But today, actually, I'm very excited about this conversation for a couple of reasons. One, is a co-mentor at the Mentor Project, where I, you know, I dedicate some of my time, and I had the opportunity to meet so many amazing people there. And uh, and and the other reason is the topic, because Bruce uh, Wiley, which is my guest. Hi, Bruce. How are you doing? Hi, Marco. Glad to be here. Yeah, I just want people to hear the voice that for those that are listening to the audio that I'm, pretend, that I'm not pretending to be by myself here with someone. <laughs> um, for the people watching, of course, they see that you are actually there. So what I was saying, the topic, it's, it's interesting because we, we, we could talk about a lot of things. And the idea to have this conversation was about the end of uh, the, the, the federal public, public health emergency, which doesn't mean the end of COVID, just of the, the, the emergency uh, in, in that case. And, uh, but we want to open it to a much larger conversation, which is what have we learned? What if and when, and what are we gonna do when uh, a situation similar to the pandemic happened, but also embrace the role of technology in the healthcare, in policies, and uh, overall, what is it doing to our humanity and how are we living uh, what I think a better uh, life and despite the fact that the news are always pointing the finger to all the bad things that AI and technology uh, do. So this is me talking for two minutes, and this is Bruce that I'm going to let him introduce himself because he will do a much, much better job than myself. Well, thanks, Marco. I, I can confirm that I am indeed real, and I'm <laughs> indeed here, and not some type of astral projection or some uh, AI visualization. 
which will be very cool. I would yeah. love that. <laughs> well, you never know. Someday in the future, you might not be able to tell, you know, am I really actually a simulation or a real person? But I think I'm a real person. So, um, but, you know, thanks, Marco. I'm, I'm so glad to have an opportunity to be on your podcast. I'm a big fan of yours. I'm a big fan of your podcast. Uh, and then just the fact that you really bring tech and, and society closer, I think it, it's fantastic. You know, it's basically what we we need. You know, there's there's sometimes you talk about tech and then you talk about society, but then, you know, the actual applications and interlacing uh, isn't always obvious to everyone. So I think it's it's great to have an opportunity to be on your po podcast. Um, so I guess I should do a, a self intro. Uh, so I have to remember who I am. Uh, let's see. So I'll, I'll think for a second. But yeah, I'm, I, I guess I wear multiple hats. I'm a professor at uh, City University of New York uh, School of Public Health. Um, and there I run a center, which is called the Center for Advanced Technology and Communications and Health, which spells out to be CATCH. Uh, so we do, uh, we develop and implement different types of technologies for, for health, healthcare, and public health. I also executive director of uh, FICOR, which is our uh, research group that I moved over from Johns Hopkins, uh, where I was previously. Uh, and in addition, I also uh, cover health, uh, healthcare and science for Forbes. And also write as a journalist and, and for other publications, um, and also have started companies sort of in the AI and uh, computer modeling space. Uh, so a lot of what I do is really the intersection between AI technology, health, and, and public health. Uh, so excited to talk about um, you know the applications to uh, epidemics, outbreaks, pandemics, you know infectious disease threats because we have to remember that. Um, and I think we were, we were talking a little while ago, and as many people say, it's not if the next pandemic happens, it's when. Uh, but we also have to remember, even a long way, every single day or every single week, there are outbreaks of infectious disease occurring. So it's not something, you know, this is not one of these things you can just turn it off and then turn it on the next time you, you see a pandemic. It's not like a TV show, uh, but you actually have to keep thinking about it. Um, yeah. And I think the... COVID-19 pandemic, I like to always say, uh, really uncovered a lot of the challenges or problems that we have in our society. It didn't necessarily create new challenges. It actually uncovered a lot of existing challenges. So we have to really learn from this pandemic if we're really going to go full circle in terms of, uh, you know, making use of history and really improving ourselves as a society. Absolutely. And, and I, I, I was thinking about one of those rules that we, we call in sociology, the proximity rule, that in the news, when something happened next to your house, it makes a big splash, like somebody just got hit by a car and you just had a little scratch, scratch versus a big airplane falling down, I don't know, in Thailand, which is really far and it's less effective even if, you know, 400 people got involved. So in a way, yeah. I think that when you mentioned things happen every day, just don't happen necessarily to us. And in this case with a pandemic, it, everybody's touched by it. So I will think that as a society, we should have learned a lot. But then mm -hmm. I look back in the history of humanity and I get a little bit more pessimistic. So mm -hmm. my question for you is, uh, with the convergence of technology that we have now, which is growing extremely fast, all the data that we have access, the supercomputer to process everything, and the fact that even the vaccine were possible because of all of this. Yeah. How did we get here, and, uh, and what have we learned? 
if any. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so if you look at technology, you know, it can really be divided into multiple different areas or applications. And uh, so I'll start with one area, which is the area of surveillance, uh, you know, infectious disease surveillance. And, and I remember, you know, during the 2009 H1N1 pandemic, that was the flu pandemic, uh, I and my team were embedded in the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and we were using our computer models to, uh, you know, test different uh, policies and interventions. And one thing that was clear at the time is you, you had information in terms of where the, the virus was spreading to some degree, like you have reported cases, you know, reported flu cases, reported hospitalizations, but there was less of um, a, a line of sight into like, where, where was this virus actually spreading? And I remember we were commenting around that time that it would be better to really stand up a stronger uh, surveillance system where you can really get data and, and, and have that readily available. And then you can, you can have a better understanding of what's going on. Because if you think about it, there's some things that we know right off the bat. I mean, everyone's carrying around a phone. Um, everyone's like, you know, checking out websites and all that information is being collected. So like people know like, oh, you know, these are your preferences. This is what you're doing. Oh, by the way, you had a bacon and sandwich the other day. You know, like so many people know these things. Yet when it comes to like the spread of infectious pathogens, we really don't know where it's actually going. And that's one of the pushes that we've made over the past decade, you know, and, and it's, it's, it's interesting because I remember in like 2016, we we're saying, Hey, we need better surveillance. Like we, you, you have a lot of tech that can be applicable to that, but it many times it fell on deaf ears because people didn't think about like a pandemic. It wasn't something that they thought would come along. But then if you saw at the very beginning of the pandemic, 2020, there was almost no information in this country in terms of like what's actually happening. So that's why you had, uh, if you recall, you know, Johns Hopkins University set up that website to show the number of cases. Um, and then everyone was tuning in on that. And then, and then eventually the New York Times did. But these should have already been in place, right? In theory, these right. should, there, there should have been governmental sites that say, okay, this is what's actually happening. It's something that had to be quickly stood up. And ultimately, you know, the Johns Hopkins website was, was an idea of, I believe it was a grad, graduate student who said, hey, you know, let's start looking mm -hmm. at these. And then the, uh, the faculty member who's, who was the head of the lab that the graduate student and say, oh, yeah, this sounds like a great idea. And then that, that's why they did it. And, and why are we relying on that? You know, we, we really need to be in situations to say, you know, let's start collecting this information and this data and have a situation where we can really move towards, you know, more of a weather map or something of that sort, where we can actually see these viruses and pathogens spreading before they become a problem. Um, so that's certainly one area where technology can really help. It can really help in terms of doing the actual tracking, but it can also... Uh, really help in terms of sharing this information and then also do all kinds of things like visualizations and saying, okay, you know, so people just have a better idea. And one way that really can help is then we can be more specific in where we apply these interventions. So we don't have to like say, oh, everyone do this, or, you know, maybe we close businesses. Instead, we could say maybe close businesses here because the activity is higher here versus here. So we don't have to have a kind of a blanket one size fits all. So that's one area where, where, where technology can be really helpful in terms of actual surveillance. Uh, and yep. we've seen and there is a, a lot of metaphor that I can think of or other example in our society. So mm -hmm. 
first of all, prevention. We're talking about preventing. So we need to monitor even when we don't need something. But yep. in case we need, we are already there in place. So common sense, yep. right? And we have technically now the power to do that. Like we monitor the weather. We know where the hurricane is coming. We can tell people to move yep. ahead of time. Can't do that for earthquake, yep. but, you know, hopefully we'll get there. And then even to help more people understand uh, the listener, for example, it's kind of like you said the, the phone in our hands. There's the GPS, and they tell you the traffic, and they tell you, well, this is the road to go from your dis to, to where you're going to, to where you're coming from. And mm -hmm. I can tell you in real time the, uh, the, bet the better route and even change it. But yeah. few people realize that it's because they even they are part of that system that is showing that where they are, there is a line, there's more traffic, and that is reproduced somewhere else. So all of this to say the potential of a constant monitoring, I think it's incredible. I mean, there is a reason why we do check every year now instead of waiting to have the bad news that you have something, you catch it early. Yeah. yeah. So the question for, for you here is that you're, you're embedded into the old, you know, the government, the education system. I think... I think I know we have the technology. I think mm -hmm. I know we have the will. Is there regulation, policy, a need for a global, I don't know, an accord where everybody worked together for this that is lacking actually? Yeah, I think I think there's several things that are needed. You know, certainly everyone talks about, well, you want to do something, you need the money to do it, you need the resources to do it. So the question is, you know, you can we can talk about surveillance, we can talk about technology, but, you know, are there resources? So it would be helpful to have initiatives that say, hey, let's get real serious about this. Let's put some serious resources into this. And then, you know, like you said, we have the technology, but and the technology needs to be adapted. You know, it can't, we can't take technology where you're like measuring where donut stores are located and then immediately apply it to you know, infectious pathogens, there are differences. So there's going to be some development that's actually needed. Uh, but yeah, one is resources. And then when we talk about will, there's a difference between, um, you know, will and will, meaning like, let's really mm -hmm. do this. Mm -hmm. And so I think there is the interest in doing it, but we, um, you know, for a little while during a the pandemic, there is greater will because people are like, you know, they were glued to these uh, charts and all these things and saying, oh, what's going on? What's going on? They would visit these things. But there isn't the same will when that's not occurring, uh, where there isn't that immediate, like, okay, this will tell me exactly what to do right now. Because we, we all know, like, you know, uh, when it comes to medicine, for instance, you know, if you're like bleeding, you're like, okay, I need a Band-Aid. Give me a Band-Aid right now. Mm -hmm. But if someone tells you, oh, hey, you better eat better or that type of stuff, that may or may may not work until someone actually has a crisis. And so that's, I think, the issue with the will, because many times what you'll see is people say, yeah, but, you know, there's these other priorities that we have to focus on. Uh, but the return for this would be so much greater. L look at what happened in the pandemic. I mean, it influenced everyone, affected everyone in terms of economically and socially. Um, and I don't think many people realize that would happen until it actually occurred. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and that's sorry. I mean, the quick comment it that that's what blows my mind. I mean, the market went down, the business stopped. Yeah, it's a global pandemic. So when I hear 
we know what to do in New York. We know what to do in LA. We know what to do in Rome. And I'm like, yeah, but pandemic doesn't care about borders. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like that dog work like that. And then in the end, what you said, you know, what's the return on investment? I think the return on investment is that we, it doesn't cost lives, number one. Yeah. But also economically, there's been a, I mean, shouldn't that be an enough motivation for doing something? It should. And that's what, that's what, you know, we're trying to encourage to say, look at this. Do you want this to happen again? Uh, do you want this impact? And, and also one thing to keep in mind is this is the pandemic, but there are a lot of other infectious diseases that, you know, as a slow burn actually cost a ton of resources, you know, flu costs a lot of resources. Uh, you know, there's different types of gastrointestinal viruses that cost a lot of resources. Um, you know, the list goes on antibody resistant bacteria, those things like that. But it's not, not always that obvious to everyone. Um, and, you know, and that's another uh, role that surveillance slash communication can play. And that's where tech can play. Uh, you know, you see all these things, you know, you open up social media or whatever, and you see all these things. And, 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 you, and you get from that, oh, this is important because I'm seeing all this. Mm -hmm. uh, it's being presented to me. Um, or, you know, you'll get some interesting maps of somewhere, something. Uh, you know, I saw I saw a map the other day where it's basically said, you know, uh, here's the most popular curse words in each location. Uh, okay, we may we may not need surveillance for that, but now I know that. So, so similarly, you know, surveillance plays a role tech-wise to say, you know, how can you present this information to people so they understand the importance and value of it as well. So that's another way place uh, tech can play a role uh, because it's not that easy in simple format, like, you know, I can sit here and tell you something, but tech has the opportunity to really kind of show things in different ways mm -hmm. uh, and help people really understand something. So I think that's a very important role with tech as well, um, that mm -hmm. information. Um, so yeah, you talk about the impact and we, we know the impact, but then that quickly fades. We don't think about it, you know, the next day or two days or so. So human, so <laughs> such a human thing yep. to do. Uh, yep. Let's dig. Let's dig a little deeper in the technology. So blow blow us our mind with the things that we can do now. So you know, like I think that just people opening and starting to play with Chat GPT, it it could blow people's mind. I, I know mm -hmm. I'm having a lot of fun with it, um, but you know, this is for writing. But he also writes code. He, he writes. It can help. Uh, I was listening to. Um, somebody talk about the application in medicine to actually find a um, component for creating new drugs because you you cr you create tests and scenario that you don't actually need to develop, yeah. you do it virtually. So tell yeah. us a little bit about the the edge of technology that that we can things that we can do now if we want to. Yeah. So. If we think about decision-making and, and assessment, right, it, it's it's a lot easier for us as humans to make a decision where there's like a single cause, single effect. There's a chair. I want to move it to the other side so I can reach something. That's simple. You just move the chair and then you step on it and you, you, you've got it. Um, but th when things start becoming more complex, second degree, third degree, fourth degree effects, and a lot of indirect effects, then it gets more difficult. And you know, it doesn't matter how much experience or how brilliant someone is, you get to a point where humans, it's a struggle to pull all these different things together. 
And that's really where a lot of AI and computer modeling and all these different types of approaches can be very helpful. Because when it comes to, and we've seen it during this pandemic, we've seen that one of the challenges is like each stage, there's been a heavily focus on one thing. When you, in actuality, you have need to bring all these different things together. You can see, if, if you recall, you know, early 2020, it was like flattened curve, flattened curve, flattened curve. Then a month later, it was like testing, 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 testing. And then contract tracing, contact tracing. And then masks, 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 masks. And then vaccine, 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 right? So it was just, you're focusing on one thing at once. But like what you really need to do is like a combination of these things in different ways. And that's tough for people to, you know, I, you know again, it's, it's nothing about how intelligent someone is or how much experience someone is. As humans, it's just tough for us to do. And this is a role that um, this is where computers and AI and all those things can really play a role. And that's one of the things that we do is to try to develop these different types of algorithms, which can help with decision making. Um, it, hap it happens in the weather, right? And it also happens with whenever you're setting a rocket into space. Uh, it's not just all humans making all these decisions. You've got computers trying to figure out the, the, you know, the, the optimal design of the rocket you know, what, what should the path be and those things like that. So why can't we do it in health and public health? Yeah, and just to make an example, this is stuff that, you know, talk about space exploration. Mm -hmm. That's what stuff that NASA was using in the 60s. I mean, 1968 is Apollo 8. It, was, it wasn't the human, you know, the pilot <laughs> deciding mm -hmm. that, how much trust to give to enter into the lunar uh, uh, gravitational field versus how to get out of it. it. It's been going on. It's not like AI and algorithm just all of a sudden appears, which may be a scary thing for people, yeah. but we need to understand that it's already doing so much job and so much work behind the scene, and it's been doing it for 50, 60 years at this point, right? Absolutely. I think the, you know, we, we've been doing this uh, AI and computer modeling work, you know, for the past 20 years um, in many areas, including like infectious disease and outbreaks and epidemics. And I think, you know, for a while, it was tougher to get traction because people sort of say, oh, you know, people are very old school about it. Like, if I don't see mm -hmm. it, I don't believe it. Right. Mm -hmm. It's sort of like, you know, I see something right in front of me. Okay. Therefore, I believe it. But if something is in silico, hmm, I don't know if I believe it. Mm -hmm. Um, and I remember when, you know, we were starting off doing that work, no one, like if people say, said AI at the time, most people would say, oh, are you talking about Alan Iverson? You know, they don't, <laughs> didn't, you know, they didn't know what it is. You know, now it's becoming more common to parlance. So that's, so I think this is an opportunity because we are not in the same place that we were 15, 20 years ago when we were, we had to try to explain to people what exactly we were doing with the computer. Mm -hmm. Um, now uh, I think people are just are becoming more familiar with, it, which is good. And then so then when we talk about our work, it's resonating a little more. But there's still a ways to go, um, mm -hmm. and there's still a lot lots of things that can be done. So. Can you give us uh, to the audience a couple of example of an application that it's maybe in everyday's life in a, in the way you run a I don't know in a hospital or a preventative care that it actually has its origin and the engine is data and artificial intelligence, computing, modeling, and all, and all that you do. So that it's not just an, 
something up in the air, but it's like, look, this is happening. This is where you can touch it. You can't really touch it, but (laughs) you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, one of the things that we've done, uh, so, you know, I can give a public health example and uh, hospital examples and things like that. So, you know, a public health example, as I mentioned during the 2009 H1N1 pandemic, we were embedded in health and human services. So we, we created a model of the entire um, United States. It was an agent-based model. And it basically represented all the people within the U.S. And what we would do is we would simulate the spread of flu. We, so we would take data of like where we thought cases were and, and simulate the spread of it. And then we could layer on different interventions because we could say, you know, early on, there's the, the question arose in the government, should schools be closed? I, I think a lot of people don't realize that. But back in 2009, some of these things are being considered. And I remember at the time we ran our models and, and we, we published this work so we can, we can see what the models uh, look like and what they turned out. It showed that it wasn't worth it closing schools at that time. The cost was just too high for the benefit in terms of, uh, you know, preventing the spread of the virus. And then we also looked at the impact of, uh, you know, rolling out vaccines in, in different ways. So this is actually where it, it helped with policymaking. Uh, so the you know, people could not see the result of these things uh, aside from trial and error. And you don't want to say, you don't want to try something and say, oops, shouldn't have done that. <laughs> right. So, um, so, and so we've done that with each of the different outbreaks. We did that during the Zika outbreak. Um, you know, mm. we provided numbers to Congress in terms of anticipated cases and anticipated costs and those things like that. So this is something that's been increasing steadily um, within health and public health, the use of computer models and algorithms to figure these things out. And then, you know, sometimes when you have different possibilities, you also need computer algorithms. You know, you run the models and you need computer algorithms to figure out which possibility is the best because this is a multi-optimization situation, right? You know, mm. in some cases, you know, you, you, you gain here, you gain here, but you may lose here. So so we've used these different types of algorithms to help come up with some of these decisions or, or at least at least aid decisions. We, you, know, you always want humans in the decision making. You don't want to turn it completely over. This is not like um, uh, what's the um, I can't remember the name of the uh, the that 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 company in the Terminator movies. But uh, it, it's Skynet. It's, uh, Skynet. There we go. Skynet. <laughs> I was thinking Cyberdyne. Maybe that's another movie. But um, but yeah, this yeah. isn't Skynet. We're not proposing Skynet. <laughs> but mm-hmm. we're but but this these can be great decision support tools. And you see mm-hmm. it in you know, hospitals. You know, more and more people are using uh, computer decision support tools to help read uh, imaging or evaluate uh, pathology um, slides or or combine different data from you know from the patient to come up with. Uh, treatment suggestions and those things like that. So it is actually happening now as we speak. Um, And, you know, and it's getting better and better. Yeah. I was just having a conversation. I had on the show a few times, Dr. Robert Pearl, he was the former uh, CIO of uh, Kaiser Permanente. And he has been writing books and he's really encouraging on the role that AI can, can have on the medical profession. I don't know if you may agree on something like that. I believe you do, but it, you know, it's talking about how the knowledge in the medical field, it's, it's, it's growing exponentially every day. And just to filter through that, through like medical paper and research and result, it, just that alone, it's, it's very, very beneficial on top of helping to diagnose 
things. And, and of course, like you said, we, we can't just let it do. We need to supervise and AI is a, is a tool as well as other um, technology. So yeah. as we start to wrap here, and of course we could go for a long time, but uh, maybe what I'm thinking is this idea again about a collaboration with the World Health Organization, every country doing its job, because even during the pandemic, some countries were getting the vaccine, some didn't, rich country, poor country. But then we, we also noticed that when a new, uh, a new uh, strand was detected, for example, in South Africa or somewhere else, I mean, we, we knew already we were ahead of the game. Now, if we played accordingly, that's another story because policy, eventually politics went in it. But we had the, the technology again to, to know that. How tough would it be to really have, and I know probably there is a network of knowledge share between the medical community, but I feel like it's kind of like cybersecurity. I'm going to go there. Mm -hmm. Cybersecurity company, they, they do their modeling. They collaborate one with each other. There is a crowdsource. Then you go to the legislator. They have no idea what they're talking about. And mm -hmm. to make a rule and a, and a legal change takes years, and we don't have years. And I feel like it's yeah. happening the same thing. We could have done so much, and we didn't do it. Mm -hmm. Future hat, Bruce, put it on. What do you see happening 10 years from now? I mean, from a regulation, politics, initiative, and sure, throw the technology in there as well. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that uh, you know one of the hopes with the uh, and I, I should add, uh, you know, yeah, Robert Pearl and I, um, is uh, he writes for Forbes as well, so I know Robert. For, yeah, that's true. Um, and uh, yeah, he always has great insight, so it's always good to hear his take on things. Um, and so, but I, uh, you know, the hope from this, whenever we have something that, you know, it, it, you know, in many ways it was a tragic occurrence with so many deaths. Um, and, you know, it's very unfortunate, but what you always want to do whenever you're dealt a, a, a tough lot in life is to decide, okay, how can we learn from that? You know, how can we make this um, productive so we can help people and humans and, you know, reduce suffering, prevent suffering in the future? And I think one of the big take-home messages from this is that there is a need to um, uh, to, to change how things we've been doing and, and that technology can play a very big role. And so, whereas previously, you know, the the hope that is that okay, you convince policymakers to really kind of make this as an initiative. Now, there are more people who, you know, unfortunately, have a better understanding of the suffering that occurred, not just from a physical standpoint, but also from an economic and social emotional standpoint. So that when someone says that, hey, we want to do some type of initiative to do X, Y, and Z. Uh, it's not left with kind of uh, deadpan, like people realize, okay, I, I know why you're doing this. And so this can extend across all different sectors. So like if, you know, you, you approach different, you know, different areas of the business sector and say, hey, this is worthwhile investing in. This is worth doing something in or an investor um, segment. Then the hope is it'll be a lot easier to make a case for bringing more technology to do these different types of things. So um, 
you know, whenever things change dramatically, it's not just one person's done it. Uh, it's because you've sort of built up to this inflection point that there's kind of all these movements that really then push it over the edge and say, hey, we should we should really do it. Happen with social media, you know, the mm -hmm. internet was around for a while before things really exploded. Mm -hmm. So the hope is with that, that like people realize that and you'll have more of these kind of separate initiatives kind of coalesce together and then you really say, hey, let's let's flip the switch and let's change how we've been doing things like epidemiology and all those different types of things. Let's really bring tech into it because tech is completely applicable uh, to this. So that's really the hope. Um, and I think I do see signs. I do see positive signs in this. And I want to encourage anyone who's listening that you know, this is a this is a this is a good area to be uh, either involved in or encourage. You know, regardless of what your role is in in society, you can encourage this. You know, if you are an investor. Consider investing something. Like if you are a leader in a company, consider saying, hey, you know, maybe some of our efforts should be dedicated towards this. So lots of things you can do. Absolutely. And I, I like what you said about helping us to visualize the technology. Like, you know, when, when it seems so far from us, it seems like magic. I'm not going to quote sci-fi, but, you know, if it's complicated yep. enough and you don't understand that it, it could as well be magic. Uh, yep. But... But I think that now, especially with the visualization, all the dashboard, and the fact that it's proven over and over and over that it's not just an hypothesis, but it it helps to foresee the future for real. Yep. I mean, believe it or not, this is what it is. I think that's that's where the lesson is. And I think you're right. Um, when you see it, when you touch it, when you burn yourself on the fire, maybe you're not going to do it again. Hopefully. Yeah, absolutely. Like, can you imagine going back to the 1980s and trying to explain Twitter and Facebook to people? <laughs> They'd be like, what? You're going to write something like 64 characters? And like, what, what are you talking about? So, yeah, it does help for people to really actually be able to touch or feel the technology, at least, yeah. you know, some aspect of it. But then, then you know, it makes things a lot easier after that. Yeah, and I, and I have to say, as we as we finish here and we say goodbye, that uh, you know, the, this what you write uh, on uh, on Forbes, uh, the style, uh, and I, I want to invite the the audience to to read your articles because you talk about very serious thing, but you have a a, a really fun way to to put it out there. Uh, I know some people. Uh, you know, give you an hard time about that, but I, I, I think that the style is is perfect to to make it more digestible. Um, I, I love that, and I, I want to thank you again for finding the time. I mean, clearly you're really busy to spend some time here with me. You're always welcome to come back and have these conversations, and I hope that the audience find it interesting and and they think about this because I'm not giving answer. I'm just making people think. Or at least I try, and you. Definitely helped me uh, doing that so much. So, Bruce, thank you so, so much. Oh, well, thanks, Marco. Like, as I mentioned, I'm a big fan of yours. I'm a big fan of this uh, podcast. I really feel that, uh, you know, uh, you're doing great things, taking, uh, helping everyone understand the intersection of technology and society. I mean, two huge topics. And I uh, could talk talk with you for hours about this stuff. So, uh, so yeah. And again, you're uh, welcome you to come back anytime. Okay. All right. Cool. Thank you, everybody. Stay tuned. And uh, on the notes, in the notes, there will be links to 
Bruce uh, activities and links to the Forbes column and social media if you want to share with us and so you can get in touch with them. Again, thank you very much. This was Redefining Society podcast on ITSP Magazine. Devo unlocks the full value of machine data for the world's most instrumented enterprises. The Devo Data Analytics Platform addresses the explosion in volume of machine data and the crushing demands of algorithms and automation. Learn more at devo.com. BugCrowd's award-winning platform combines actionable contextual intelligence with the skill and experience of the world's most elite hackers to help leading organizations identify and fix vulnerabilities, protect customers, and make the digitally connected world a safer place. Learn more at bugcrowd.com. Black Cloak provides concierge cybersecurity protection to corporate executives and high net worth individuals to protect against hacking, reputational loss, financial loss, and the impacts of a corporate data breach. Learn more at blackcloak.io. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share itspmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Thank you.